it is hard for me to admit my weaknesses and limitations. Sometimes it seems especially to myself. But if I can't face my weaknesses and limitations, how can I possibly expect God to do anything with me? Now, if you've listened to any of my sermons over the last at least decade, you know that I try to be open and real, that I have weaknesses and limitations. My brokenness is on display, I think, every day, but at least every Sunday. But I manage them. With some of them, I wear them lightly, and I can be aware of them and then set them aside and go on with my life. If, if I think it's necessary. But when I do that, I miss out and I close myself off on what God wants for me and to do through me. So I want this to be perfectly clear. What God wants to do is heal my brokenness and give me strength when I am weak. When St. Paul shared with the church in Corinth about this weakness or brokenness or limitation that he had, he was specifically vague. He didn't mention exactly what it was, but he told them this clear message that God gave him that my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. So even though I know this, and even though I, I bring my weaknesses and limitations and challenges before you, I still have a real hard time sometimes admitting some weaknesses that I have to other people in a way that will let God's grace come in and do the work that God's grace can do in me. And I tell you this today because we're launching the I Will sermon series today. Because I'm going to tell you how we can get beyond this issue. That's right, there's a way for you and me to open ourselves more fully to God's grace so that God's grace can work in us and then through us to our surroundings. God can heal our brokenness and give us strength when we're weak. The way is simple. The way is worship. So from now until Easter, I will is our theme. Today, it's this. I will worship. So I invite you all to say that with me. You can say it aloud if you want or silently. There's no judgment from anybody else. Here we go. Are you ready? I will worship for this series and for this entire year we're saying i will and what a time to say i will because we have this incredible opportunity set just before us in less than two years from now we will celebrate moving into a brand new building designed with 21st century ministry in mind on the way there we have a lot to do and we have a lot of stuff to get rid of we have almost 10,000 square feet of space in this facility designated for storage most of which doesn't bring us joy this reminds me of a verse a verse in hebrews that says let's throw off any extra baggage but to be fair because i'm not one to pull things out of context like that here's the verse entire context let's throw off any extra baggage Get rid of the sin that trips us up and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. Still relevant to stuff, I think. And I'm willing to be part of the team to right-size the stuff we keep and the stuff we store and the stuff we give away. We'll be dealing more with the stuff, the external to us, the material stuff, over the next year 
please stay tuned for today. I invite you to focus with me on the internal stuff that we need to work with and do something about to make our relocation work. To become the church that is ready to maximize the potential of our new space and our new building for the kingdom of God, we start with I will worship. So over the next several weeks, we will or I will several other things. I know that sounds awkward. Please stick with me. These things happen not coincidentally to be our church's core values. These are things that we believe, things that matter to us, things that energize our focus to carry out our mission, which is to help people follow Jesus a bit better today than yesterday. So to get there, I will worship, I will grow, I will serve, I will reach, I will give. And then to round out the season of Lent, I will follow and I will rise. If you like the reboot series, I think you'll like this series. I will worship. So what is worship? Is it, is it smells and bells? Is it acolytes and choir and clergy all adorned in liturgically proper garments? Is it the congregation standing and sitting and standing and sitting and standing and sitting all throughout a service that lasts maximum one hour? Singing, reading psalms responsibly, reciting the ancient creeds of the church? Is it light shows and a well-choreographed band leading a concert-like song set followed by down-to-earth or old-fashioned or hipster preaching and teaching? Is worship a piano? Is worship an organ? Is worship a guitar and a drum kit? Worship is any of those things and none of them because no one of those things is required for worship and all of them can be a part of worship. Worship is getting caught up into the, into the throne room of God as Isaiah's vision in this morning's reading tells us. God's presence fills the temple. Seraphim are flying around all over the place, covering their faces, singing praises to God. They're singing, these words sound familiar, I'm sure. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. God fills the temple and God's glory fills the earth. Obviously, these are metaphors. God's presence fills the temple but there's room in the temple for the seraph to be flying around. And there's room in the temple for Isaiah to be ushered into God's presence. God's glory fills the earth. Still a metaphor. There's plenty on earth around us and in us that doesn't give God glory. But God's glory fills the earth. This is worship, to, to recognize that God's greatness and goodness and power fills the earth. Because sometimes, just to make it through the day, you need to know, I mean really know, that God's presence fills the temple and that God's glory fills the earth. You might have had a day this week that you just really needed to stop and know that God's glory filled the earth, or at least your little part of the earth. So worship is an awareness of God. It's awareness of God's presence. You can tell Isaiah really sensed God's presence and goodness and power because of verse 5, where he says, I said, mourn for me, I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the King, 
the Lord of heavenly forces. Mourn for me, I'm ruined. I still love the King James of this. Woe is me, for I am undone. Have you ever felt undone? Yeah. This is Isaiah's moment, honestly, like Jesus' disciples' moment when the night that he's betrayed, Jesus says to them, one of you will betray me, and every one of them says, is it I, Lord? Because when you're caught up in worship, you're not thinking about others. You're not thinking about what they're doing wrong, what they should be doing better, yada, yada, yada. You're entirely enthralled in your own standing in the presence of God. You feel humbled by that, but like you can be honest because worship isn't just, woe is me, I'm undone. Mourn for me, I'm ruined. It's also what happens next. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin removed. God's goodness overwhelms us and restores us. Worship is getting real in God's presence, recognizing that God is God and we aren't. And this opens us to freely acknowledge that whatever brokenness or inadequacies we have, whatever brokennesses or inadequacies we feel, God heals. What's more, when, when we acknowledge our brokenness or inadequacies, notice from Isaiah, it doesn't send God packing. It doesn't have God shaking God's head in disappointment with Isaiah. God's not ripping out the lightning bolts. God heals and cleanses and restores. Worship is entering the presence of God and welcoming God's cleansing, loving power into our lives. On that, I will worship. We worship here together Sunday mornings, the first day of the week in our tent with this worship service is for everybody to enter intentionally into God's presence so that we can all experience God's healing and cleansing and restoring power. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to worship. I mean, take Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well for another instance of worship. Jesus leads this woman to a place where she can recognize that he isn't just another man coming by the well wanting water in midday. He offers her living water. He confronted her with who she really was, and she ended up going home back to her town and telling them all. Do you remember this line? Come and see a man who told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? Now, the beauty of this is that everybody back in town knew who this woman was. They knew everything that she'd done. That's why she was alone in midday to draw water, not in the early morning with all the other women coming out to draw the water. They knew and they treated her like we treat people whose lives we disapprove of. But when she was in Jesus' presence and he told her everything she'd done, she felt like Isaiah, like she'd been cleansed. See, worship doesn't just make us feel better for the moment or for the rest of the day. Worship changes our lives. Worship cleanses 
and heals and restores us. Worship helped me learn to give. When I first started taking this following Jesus thing, this being a disciple thing seriously, I was in high school. I learned then the power of tithing. That is mostly the power of giving to God first and then living off the remainder. When I was in high school, still living off my parents, that was pretty easy. Tithing, get my paycheck, write the 10%, give it away. And I wish I could tell you that I've been keeping that up ever since, but if I did, I'd be lying. I lived through more than a decade as a pastor when I didn't tithe. I'd forgotten this great truth that worship is going to God, giving to God first, and that that restores a pattern in our lives that inherently blesses us. And I will tell you from experience, it's hard for a pastor who doesn't tithe to preach tithing. It's hard for a pastor who doesn't give generously to preach generosity of God. It can be done, but it doesn't have the authenticity that people want and expect and deserve from their spiritual leaders. Now, I didn't wait then again to start tithing again until I could afford it because I started tithing again because I realized I couldn't afford not to. I committed to giving a portion, the first portion of my income back to God as the first of my financial obligations because worship draws me to put God first. One of the phenomenal things that this has done for me, for us, is it's really helped put us in a position that now to be part of this capital campaign that we're launching to support God's vision for Euless First United Methodist Church in our new building and our new land. And we can support that work above and beyond our tithe because this opportunity we have is once in a lifetime. And whenever I say that, I can't help but remember this paraphrase of the practical theologian Marshall Mathers, who said, we've got one shot, one opportunity to seize everything we've got, we want in a moment. Will we capture it or let it slip away? So I don't know about you, but the, several times over the last 64 months, since the highway project started, since all the imminent domain challenges we've had from TxDOT, through at least six church conferences, through dealings with commercial real estate, through saying goodbye to one of our buildings, and working through 17 weeks of not being able to worship in our sanctuary because this was hit by lightning, sometimes it's been exhausting. But other times, and actually, if I stop to think about it, even in the midst of those times, there's been this, this undercurrent of joy, of excitement, of realizing we have to trust God to move forward from where we are now. A good way to know that you've worshipped is when you have the sense that you have to trust God to move forward. I will worship. Because all we've been through as a church, and not just the last five years, but for 143 years, because of all we've been through, when we worship, we admit we have to trust God to keep moving forward. Sometimes worship starts with us recognizing our need for God. Sometimes it doesn't start there. Sometimes it starts with us feeling like we're spiritually dragging ourselves in, but then at some point in the process, we feel like, like God shows up and God fills our space with grace and love so that we can move into recognizing God's presence just like Isaiah did 
I've had Sunday mornings, honestly, that I get here because it's my job to be here. But even that much willingness just to show up here puts me, it puts us in a place where we can be aware of God's presence. Sometimes worship starts very intentionally, and sometimes it starts just because we've been willing to show up. Sometimes it starts for us like it did for the woman at the well. She wasn't expecting God to show up that day, and there God was. That's what worship does. That's what worship is. Worship is our acknowledging God is worthy of our attention and our devotion and our time. Worthy, worship is worthy of giving God our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, in case you speak United Methodist. And welcoming God to do what God does when we present ourselves in worship opens to us cleansing and healing and restoring. I will worship. Will you? Please pray with me. God, for your willingness to be present for your people, we are grateful. For all the ways that we suddenly sometimes wake up and realize that you are among us. God, we are grateful. Sometimes we come looking for you, sometimes we don't. And you are here and you are good. And you draw us in because your desire is not to heap guilt and shame upon us, but to heal us and cleanse us and restore us. So God, help us be aware of your presence that we might worship you. Amen. The ushers are coming forward to receive our offering. This just